Today on The Terrible Warriors, we take you back behind the screens, tales of tabletop triumph. Do you have a story of tabletop triumph? A tale of a game that you ran, a character that you loved, a story that you overcame? Email us at feedback at Terrible Warriors, and we might have you on the next Behind the Screens. Today we meet with my friend and your new friend, Kimberly Doing, who came up with a novel way to liven things up in a game of Dungeons & Dragons they'd been playing. And hey, it's something you could do too. All she had to do was have a look at what board games she had on her shelf. And so when the players arrived to play Dungeons & Dragons, it was a little strange at first when they saw a box of betrayal at the house on the hill in the center of the table. But I'll let Kimberly take us behind the screen. First of all, it's in a low-lit room. So you're sitting around this table, and I've hung red streamers around, and the it's candlelit. So already, and then there's music. Because, of course, I, I love picking music for the game. Like, just something unobtrusive. And you come to the table, and on the table is um, game tiles, not from D&D, but from Betrayal at House on the Hill. You're playing with people that you maybe don't know entirely well because it's such a rotating roster and it's from different friend groups and that's kind of a cool aspect. And your character is set outside of this mansion. And at first, you're alone in the game. So you're not with your party. Your character's alone. You don't remember how you got there. And I'm setting the scene so it's dark. You can't really see past anything. And if you try to leave the mansion, you find yourself back at the mansion. And the longer you linger outside... Like that American Horror Story moment in the first season when they run out the back door and they just run back in the front door. Exactly. And if if you linger too long, the darkness encroaches and you can heal, feel your heartbeat in your ears and it kind of corrals you into the house and suddenly you're not alone suddenly you're with the party and you know at this point I kind of gave the player a moment to be like you know roll to kind of figure out some insight into the situation because you know maybe they're on a weird plane or maybe they're dreaming and maybe they're trying to figure out how they got here or remember something about where they were before. Like what was the last memory they had before being at this house? Um, at that point, it's that first tile in um, Betrayal in the House of the Hill, which is the the hallway tile. And that's where you start building out the mansion. And for me as a DM, it's fun because I also don't know what room tile they're going to turn over next. So we go around the table clockwise. So we're almost playing Betrayal, but we're playing D&D. We're just using the Betrayal board game as your battle map that you're just slowly revealing. Because it's, it's fun. Like, you get to explore. You don't know what's coming next. I don't know what's coming next. I'm excited. What room are you going to unveil? And from a DM perspective, I just wrote a little blurb for every room. So as you're exploring the mansion, each tile has something intriguing or some hint at what's happening or how you got there. There might be a journal that has maybe the recollections of someone else who was also trapped in the mansion before. Or uh, there might be a body in the corner that's charred to a crisp. One of my favorite rooms, you find things scattered about, and when you go to pick up 
one of the things you're thrust into a memory of two characters fighting and yelling and there's a rattling at the door and in this in this sort of like vision your character's having you hear the doorknob rattling and then under the door this hand is like trying to get through and then it like kind of pulls itself between underneath the door stretching and then it reaches up and the arm comes up and it unlocks the door and then the door opens and you're snapped out of this vision and the doorknob's rattling in the room. Yes. And just that sort of like, you know, I'm taking away the agency because you're in this scene where you're in this memory. watching a recording, yeah. But then you're thrust into action and something's happening and you have to respond. You know, there's one room that very clearly was a safe room because it was a bedroom and, you know, there are salt lines around the doorway and I would describe it as like, this feels like a quiet place. It feels safe here, but then you go to onto a next room and it's another bedroom. But if you try to sleep there, you wake up and you can feel like something cold pressed against you and breathing down your neck. And 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 eventually what is revealed, especially for characters that are like more arcane inclined, is that maybe this is some sort of plane of existence that's, you know, interacting with you. It's taking shape as you're exploring it. Exactly. There's hints. Um, the characters start to um, unlock these silver threads, essentially. And there's sort of like this hint of, um, there's a journal entry that says, it's cl- written by a wizard. So there's some insight there. And it's like, you know, you cannot, you can die in this plane or like, to, tr- to experience true death, you have to sever the thread. So suddenly the thread feels important. Like we got to protect the thread because if it's severed, we die for real. So, so slowly just like peeling back the layers and there's like characters. So like in the vision that you had, the characters are calling each other's names. And then in the graveyard tile, you discover graves with those characters' names on it and how they died. Like... I don't know this character. So this whole place like, is some kind of trap, and it's just been like like a like a Venus flytrap. It's just been capturing, adventuring souls, yeah, <laughs> luring them in, and then feeding until essentially until they're yeah. gone, and then they find more. So what happened in your game? This so, was done as a one shot, right? Or yeah, exactly. But what I did is I really wanted to get into these players' heads. So these are characters that we've been playing with in the mercenary campaign on and off for about a few, like several months, um, several sessions. They're invested. And they're invested, and essentially, I took bits of their backstory and I made them face their worst fear in it. And if they overcome that challenge, they recovered their personal thread which was eventually the key out of the um, of this trap, of this nightmare mansion. It was like, you know, this kid, this one character, he was basically like the tired dad. He was a mercenary because he was trying to earn money to feed his kids. Well, you know, in the graveyard, he discovers his kids' names on a grave. And then once Conquering the Sphere was able to get his thread and essentially they each had to face something that they were terribly, terribly afraid of. And I really like dug into, it was sort of, you know what it was inspired by a little bit was like, um, like the Silent Hill games 
Yeah, it sounds a little too like Eternal Darkness yeah. on the game. And for me, it was a lot of fun because as I was playing through this horror mansion, I got to tap into a lot of my favorite tropes and a lot of my favorite like horror stories. Like the hand under the door, I'm pretty sure was inspired by some like I don't know creepy pasta that I read. Or pretty like, sure there was an X Files episode, something as like well. that. It was like a stretchy fingers. Yeah, and, like yeah. I just like really wanted to dig into some of my favorite tropes, and I'm I'm super interested in horror and how to enact it, especially in a tabletop RPG setting, which can be quite pedantic and. Um, did they get out? Did they survive? Yes. Did they all make um, it? They did all make it. I was not, yeah, they, I don't know. <laughs> I was kind of like <laughs> a little bit hoping. You gave them the win. Yeah, I gave them the win, but it was hard. It was hard one. But um, like in the end, it was a Halloween session. It was supposed to be kind of fun. It was kind of like a theme park session. It was like the beach yeah. episode, but for goths. <laughs> yeah. So... I did give them the win. Um, I ask people before I kill their characters and I don't know, like if you're attached to your character, especially if I'm going to make your character go through like psychological hell, their personal psychological hell, it feels sometimes surviving is more then you have to live with it for their arc. You have to live with that memory. And, And, um, and did this game, did they live with it as you went back to your standard session? You you know what happens Um, with D and D sessions is eventually, yeah, there was, I don't think there was any other sessions after that. I think that was like the last, was that, was that your finale? Oh, it's just like life got in the way. I, I don't know. Something came up, but, um, that did wind up being my finale and I'm okay with that. Cause I got like everyone really liked it. I think it didn't drag. It was snappy. There was always something new. There was like decisions that they made. They got to play with the game tiles, which like I feel like we're all missing that because of the pandemic. But like interacting mm-hmm. with something that wasn't like counting squares like D&D does. How did you decide or did you work with the players to find their worst fears? If you're, that was like, it sounded like that was like the challenge. Each of them had like a, a bespoke challenge for them waiting in those hallways. I love, I love the way you put that bespoke challenge. That is exactly it. Um, it was partially just paying attention to their characters as we played the mercenary campaigns and picking up on what their characters found important. Like for example, uh, Quarian wanted to bring his he was a bard, obviously, and he was very, mm-hmm. he was in a lot of debt because he was trying to stage this like rock opera that like was not getting off the ground and kept going further and further into debt, trying to get this rock opera off the ground or something like that. We've all yes, been there. we've all been there. Um, and in, in his nightmare was everyone laughing at him as he tried to perform at the like piano. He's not a bard, he's a jester. Yes, he was just being torn apart and laughed at. And that was kind of his thing. Or like, you know, the character with his kids. Um, one character's greatest fear was being enslaved or trapped. And their fear was they were attacked by chains, essentially, and tied down and made absolutely helpless. And they had to sort of rely on their friends to free them. And that was their sort of 
challenge in a way. And then one character, like their worst fear was rats. So they were in catacomb full of rats. I don't know. Like sometimes it's just be easy, easy fears. And how did how did they each react to to that? How did the, how did it play out? Um, <laughs> so were they grateful? Uh, like they must have been so thankful that their GM had been paying so much attention to them that they were ready to torture each person one at a time. Yeah, in front of their they peers. I they still talk to me about it sometimes, which is why I was like I should talk about this because it really worked, and I found it really easy to write and fun to dm and that's not always the case you know sometimes writing a campaign is like pulling teeth or like am i covering all my bases and it really worked because it was really self-contained like everything had like a little like really self-contained and that's why i think it was so successful it was like there's no like there's still ways the characters can take it in unexpected directions but you can't. What was an unexpected direction that that happened during your game? Do you uh, remember? The guy whose kids I had in a grave, the player forgot their names, so the was <laughs> just like I don't know who these. <laughs> oh, who are who are they? Um, or like unexpected solutions to problems, or like hints you drop, and they're just like I'm running out of this room so fast before I even talk to this character that literally has the clue to solving. Um, the thing they figured out the threads thing pretty oh, so that's when i would just break the fourth wall like no 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 you are leaving the room with the answers that i have for this very mission that you're yes, a part of no i but, didn't i was just like all right you're leaving the room i'll improv something later um you lose it you don't you don't get the in, you don't get the yeah information. but they did they figured out the thread things really fast and they just like were like we gotta go get those threads we have to go get them and they were questing harder than i initially anticipated so i sort of had to up the ante or like lead them in circles a little bit. I think that was kind of like the biggest thing was sometimes they find the shortcut and you have to turn them around. <laughs> you mentioned, yeah, you have to then start padding for time. You mentioned you did prep work where you wrote details into each mm-hmm. of the rooms. There's a lot of rooms in Betrayal at the House on the Hill. I picked specific rooms. Oh, you picked specific rooms in, in advance? So you stacked the deck. I did. For for this story, uh, how how was that? How was the prep work like to to do all that? Was it just like a creative writing challenge for you, or yeah? So, um, like for example, okay, so I had some like I had like like different challenges. So there were monsters to fight, like the hand. They could have fought the hand, but they just ran. So there were some monsters. I think my favorite one was like. Once you pick up the threads from this room, a flesh golem will follow the party at a steady pace throughout the game. And they don't know that's happening until it like, you know, they go in the wrong direction or I don't know. I love thinking of like little mechanics like that, little things that like how things can almost run on like an AI or like sort of mm-hmm. interact in a different way or like they discover like something like keys and locks and stuff. But yeah, prep work wise, it was a creative writing challenge. So I basically just looked at each tile and that was, it was great because that was my prompt. It was like, oh, this tile looks like a messed up room and there's bloody handprints. So I'm going to describe that. So you're working backwards. Did you already know what was going on? Like what was going on? And then were you writing backwards from that solution? You know what? 
Or or did you just leave it up like I, I don't know. We're in we're in some pocket world. We're in Halloween land and it sort of came to me as I was writing. Like I, I wrote each of the room descriptions and as I was building it, I was like, here's a character here and oh wait, they're over here and wait, this is happening. So it was almost like the story was unveiling itself to me a little bit as I was writing it sort of coming to me. So you had the mechanics of using the board game yeah. first and then the story After. revealed itself as you were prepping it. And the story didn't even need to necessarily come out. Like I knew that like, um, like I left clues around, like here are clues that the players can find that will, that will tell them that maybe they're dreaming. Did they encounter those clues? Not necessarily. I wrote the dream is in the pl- planar plane portal. Wait, the dream is it's astral or something. And they didn't need to figure that out. It was just something in there for me to kind of help me build it. But that was sort of like an afterthought. It was like, not an afterthought, but it sort of came out of the woodwork. It was like slowly revealing what this story was about. I don't know. A lot of atmospheric stuff. A lot of like, like when they went to the graveyard, it's like you walk among the tombstones. You don't remember how you got there. Like me telling the player how their characters feel just a little bit, not how they react or how they fully feel, but just like, you don't remember how you got into this room. Or like when you try to look out that window, your eyes just slide across the glass. Like you can't look out the window no matter how hard you try like I was thinking about how I feel when I'm in a dream and weird things that happen like you know it's like sometimes you just can't see clearly in a dream you can't focus yeah like things like that like the more you focus the more you feel like you're about to wake up and lose the dream and so when you you mentioned uh they they picked up on the silver threads and started questing pretty hard did you tip your hand a little too early or were you who who was the more eager person there at the table and and how did you pat it out cuz i mean we're we're here we're here for 4 hours we're not going to if you if you can't end in in an hour i guess we're all going to play jackbox what <laughs> what did you do to help um manage the times so that you're you're both ending at the end of the night, ending on a satisfying moment, but also not letting them speed run your challenge that you slaved over in right. advance. Well, so what happened is because it was random, because I shuffled the tiles, maybe they discovered a room that had a thread in it early on or they had the right conversation. Mm-hmm. I had one player who was really like, you know, those players that are really invested in figuring out what's going on. And some yeah, players gotta, are more about playing the game. Got to crack the code. Yeah. Yeah. So as soon as this like thread kind of revealed itself, I think what happened is they found a, th- a thread and then they found the journal, which sort of had notes about the thread. It just had to be back to back. Yeah. Yeah. So you have this randomness factor when you're playing with tiles the way I did in that they were shuffled. I didn't know which one was going to be flipped next. Uh, There's a game I have here on the bookshelf there called For the Queen, and it's uh, it's a card. You shuffle it, and you're pulling out story prompts as you're playing. Oh, I love that. One of the things is the game ends when you find the card that says the queen is under attack. Do you defend her? Yes, no. And you don't know the answer to that question until you've played the game and you've gone through the deck and you've answered all the questions that are presented to you in advance. Depending how long you want the game to be is where you slide that card. So if you want it to just be fully random, you just shuffle the deck. Maybe your game's done in 10 minutes. Maybe your gun's done in, in, in a few hours. Or what it recommends is you split the deck, you shuffle half of it, and then you slide the end card somewhere in the middle. So you don't know where the whole deck is. You don't know what's underneath the ending card. You don't know what's above the ending card. 
uh, but you know that the ending card is in the middle. So like if you had these rooms that are these silver thread rooms that are big plot rooms, you don't want to re reveal them too early. You want them to feel lost and trapped and running through this ma maze that you have. You just slide them deeper down into the deck after you've shuffled the rest of your random rooms, right? And then you can stack the time so that you know you've got a minimum of like four or five rooms before the first story thing is going to yeah. trigger. So the way the story was structured is they each needed their own thread and then they needed to bring it to a specific room. And because there was just so many, there was... If they haven't found the room yet, they got to keep opening doors until they find yeah. the room they're looking for. And if for. they don't have all the threads yet. So that sort of paced That's a, a very betrayal in the House of the Hill moment. Exactly. We're like, oh crap, we got to get the paint to the gallery. We haven't found the gallery yet. And we got to run all over the house until we find where the gallery's hiding. So the game kind of fixes itself that way. It is possible to, like, they found out kind of what they're after early on, but they still had to experience it and go through. And at the very least, maybe they went into a room and didn't realize... The thing they needed was there so there was backtracking there was like we got to go through this room again oh i don't mm -hmm. want to go through that room again like there's that thing sobbing in the corner in that room there's that sound there's like i had one room that was kind of like that scene in pan's labyrinth where you felt like you really needed to eat the food yeah the pale man's room yeah yeah i think what happened is the character ate the food and wound up just getting sick like vomiting constantly <laughs> Oh, you know what it was? You poisoned yourself. It was all the food to everyone else, but this one character looked like it was rotten and full of maggots and decaying and really gross, like writhing. And this one character was like, this looks like a feast. Yeah, it's like the Lost Boys from Hook. Yes. And yeah. the character, the the player was like, I'm not even going to roll on that. Like, my character is just going to eat that. Like, Yeah, there's nothing to roll. There's, like, there's no hungry. hesitation. That's my that character. Really good pie. It's going in my mouth. That was a really, that player was really excellent to have um, because she always just like was really true to whatever her character was doing where, where like, you know, those, my um, problem solving player was a bit more like, I want to solve the problem regardless of what my it's character thinks. Play, it's that idea of playing to lose where you, you let your character make a poor choice knowing that this is what my character would do. I, the player, know it's not the right call, but my character doesn't know any better or they're irresponsible or they're, they think it's a good-looking pie. And it gives all the other players a chance to then react and go, oh, my goodness, yeah. oh, no. And then they have to, and then it gives them a platform to jump from exactly. that the player has served up rather than the GM. And, yes. and the, then you get this cycle going where everyone starts feeding off of each other. I am... Um I remember one moment I had this ghost character or like a ghost monster. It was essentially a monster, but the players decided that they really wanted to talk to the ghost instead of fight the ghost. So that was a moment where I had to sort of improv and off the cuff something, but it was kind of cool because the ghost wound up being its own character and the players really wanted to like, I don't know, like not help the ghost necessarily, but they're kind of grilling the ghost for like, what's going on here? Why are you dead? Why are we here? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um so it was this kind of impromptu sort of um into the nature of the world i guess there's lots of have you have you read bluebeard's bride yet no not yet and do you know of it i know of yeah. it and i really want to play it 
but <laughs> you 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 almost did in this game that you're describing. It's very close. This I, this idea of going from room to room, investigating the rooms, finding objects of interest, facing your fears, using those observations to make up your mind about what does this room, what does it mean to me? What, uh, what, what am I doing with this information? The rooms themselves are agnostic. They're not telling you one way or the other, but they're trying to tell you something and it's up to you to interpret what that means. And then, uh, and then at the end you, you, you have a couple of closed endings that determine, depending on the choices you've made in the previous rooms, what sort of ending you'll then face to have your final scene in. So, uh, so I think that's, that's my superpower as a DM is that, okay, I only know people who want to play D&D, but I really want to play this type of game. So I'm going to make them play that game within the rules of D&D. And I'm going to use whatever board game pieces or mechanics or whatever that I think needs to happen to play the type of game I want to happen. And I, I think that's my argument for why I like 5e so much is because you can kind of fuck with it a lot. You can kind of... You're allowed to. Yeah. Exactly. I, I would... When I'm playing the an indie game, I want to play the game they've made exactly. because it's so small already and it's contained and they've got a specific story they're trying to tell you. Dungeons and Dragons doesn't have a specific story they're trying to tell you. It's like... It's a sandbox. They they embrace homebrew. They encourage it. Uh, we, even when you were talking about, oh, it was the planar plane. No, it was the ast- I don't care. Yeah. I've been no, playing whatever. Dungeons & Dragons since I was 12, and I still don't know one single thing of actual Dungeons & Dragons lore uh, 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 beyond, I think, I don't even know Strahd's full name. Mm-mm. I couldn't tell you off the top. I'd have to look it up in a book. Um, and, and, I, and, and he's the only one I can think of off the top Isn't of my head. is he a vampire? Of like, He's a vampire from yeah, Ravenloft. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. the one who's like running the show there. He's the he's the whole disturber. But it's even then, like Dungeons and Dragons has never been about the lore for me. It has always been a a game. Yeah, it's a, a game. game to play. It's a sandbox, and I've tried to play one of the pre written adventures, and honestly, it's more work to play a pre written than to just write your own. Especially if you've got players who have a lot of free will, um, because the, the you oh, I've got this adventure. I'm going to take you down into Thunderspire Mountain. We're going to learn the mysteries of the labyrinth. And then the other player's like, "Yeah, but you know, I'm kind of like seeking out the truth of my missing parents, and I'm I'm going to go uh, to the north instead. I'm going to go in a different. Oh, I guess I'm improvising everything <laughs> now. Yeah, and it's like, well, I want to know your backstory too. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's important to find hooks to justify okay and and to work with the player all right i want to do this game that's going to send us into this location what you know would it take do you do you would you do meta talk like that with your players to be like i want to work with you <laughs> to make it so that you want to be in this story so we, oh my god we're all here together no no, right? no that like, meta talk, i'm not going to do a haunted mansion if you don't want to do a haunted mansion that meta talk is so important like i always ask my players what's your favorite part of play do you want role play do you want your character's backstory do you want combat do you want a dungeon crawl and that was the cool thing about the mercenary campaign is i could be like I'm doing this Halloween thing in a haunted mansion, like sign up for it. If you're available, this is the day. That's the other cool thing about the mercenary campaign is I got to pick the schedule and 
fuck everyone else. Like either you can make it or you can't make <laughs> yeah. it. And if you can't make it, you get the rewards. If you've got a deep pool of players where you might get one or two who can always show up out of the roster you have, that's really that's a really ideal situation. And then you can say, all right, this week I want to do something more exploration we're gonna it's gonna be a desert setting uh it's gonna be a lot of survival stuff um might not fight any monsters but you're gonna be looking for water and and that might be really interesting to some people and it might not be interesting to others or today we're doing a murder mystery in a town we're gonna be in an urban setting it's gonna be a lot of social encounters a lot of talking role-playing character voices don't think it's going to be heavy on combat it's going to be heavy on walking into a room and acting like sherlock holmes exactly Um, and uh, and finding, you know, is that, do you want to be there for that? Yeah. Because the last thing I want to do running a game is be also pulling your teeth. And then the other thing that I got to do is I normally don't use the EXP system. Like, I just level players at landmarks because they're all the same level. But I got to reward my players for showing up. Like, you get more EXP, you get the loot, you're an actual mercenary in a mercenary band i had little like membership cards building your reputation yeah Yeah. it was like famous quote reputation in this town it was really cool i'm sad it didn't go on longer because i think it really could have been like its own little universe um and it worked for people like i had basically a group chat and i would say this is the day this is the time there's like four to five slots first come first serve like that's it Oh, hey, and it might still happen again. I think right now we're all um, it, the gaming and gaming groups got thrown all up into the air. And uh, I'm only only two years now uh, after we had to cancel our, our games in 2020, finally getting around to actually running games again because um, it took that long for me to adjust to the fact that I can't play at this table. And so your game, your idea of taking a board game and, and blending it with with your Dungeons and Dragons setting, would you would you do something like that again? Yeah, definitely. I think like the inspiration would have to strike and it has to be like a particular board game. But I definitely think there's a lot of potential for play in that, you know, you don't need the dungeon map because I have seven other board games and they all have their own maps. And why can't I use that map and those figures? And I don't need to buy you know, expensive D&D figurines. I'll just be like, um, we're fighting four different diseases. We're playing Pandemic, but actually it's D&D. Okay. I don't actually know if that would work, but like, you know, as an example. I heard that <laughs> meowing. Um, I, I had a, a, a fun board game where you're basically doing like a net running hack, like a cyberpunk heist. And you have to break into the facility and get out before the cards run out. And I always thought that that would be fun if I was doing something like a shadow run or, or a cyberpunk RPG. Um, if I want to take a break from that to do, okay, this week we're going to play this board game, but you're going to be playing as your characters. Yes. And depending how the board game comes out, you might get some rewards or not. Well, there's always uh, like in, in the RPG the idea of games with the ge- in a game too. Like I've broken out my actual like tarot decks and played a, like an NPC who actually read my character's tarot, and I actually read the character's tarot with my actual there's tarot a, deck. There's a drinking game one, the the Red Dragon Inn. My yeah. brother's a big fan of, and that's again a game within a game, and you can play with your character sheets if you wanted to and bet all the money you got from the last mission that you brought into town. I love that. And uh, the uh, uh, we did a game of. Tales from the Loop, which is set in an alternate 1980s, 
And while we were playing the game, our GM busted out a second edition monster manual and said that our characters are meeting in the clubhouse to play Dungeons and Dragons because it's 1987 and that's big right now. <gasps> and it. so we played second edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons while playing a game of Tales in the Loop. And at some point partway through our game, uh, when the monster attacked, the dog started barking outside the clubhouse and we were pulled back into the Tales in the Loop story and out into our mystery. That is and amazing. It yeah. was really it was really cute. It was I, very it was very much like the scenes from Stranger Things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love yeah, like bring games together. Why the not? Play within a play. Like games can be props. You can play as your characters. You can yeah. Absolutely. And I think like I would totally do and I would do another like betrayal game because the tiles work so well the way it worked was so maybe i wouldn't even need like, they've the, got they've got a uh, betrayal at Baldur's gate yeah they actually, did. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> they actually crossed it over with your world i know but it's just it's not dean <laughs> yeah i know what you mean i i did play it i didn't like it as much to be honest but <laughs> well uh, you're not the only one who had an idea of turning a board game into an RPG. Uh, just a week before you and I were talking, uh, Grant Howitt, who's one of the co-creators of The Spire, put out a game. He does a one-page RPG every month, and he teamed up with uh, Chloe Masheter, and they made Clue Don't, where you play on a clue board or a Cluedo board, because uh, he's out in the UK, and uh, your characters are moving on the board, but you've been told that the person's been killed and whoever killed them is going to inherit everything. That's what was in their will. So everyone at the table is now working to prove that they were the murderer and the rest wouldn't hurt a fly. And you're moving around the, the clue board, moving into different rooms, planting evidence and toying with weapons and triggering flashbacks with other characters to gather cards to prove that you're the murdering bastard who killed the person so that you can inherit their vast riches. Right. And, and, you know, I was thinking about it. It's like, well, I could probably play a similar style game without using the betrayal board game. But I think part of the fun was the players getting to interact with those pieces and getting to flip those tiles. And there's a novelty to it. Exactly. And like, I think that novelty was really key. Like it was fun for them. It's like I, you know, I could have done it all. Meta wise, it was interesting too that you were in a different reality. And so the rules, exactly. the yes. laws of the realm are different here. And in this realm, we're pulling tiles and creating new rooms and exploring on this on this board game in a way that that it doesn't exist where we're from. And, and then and it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm kind of thinking with like, the meta. wouldn't it be cool to have the same players back and the same characters back and to do it again and say, you find yourself back at a familiar place. You've been here before, but all the rooms aren't where you left them. And you can go deeper and figure out what is going on here. Maybe there's like, you know, keep going deeper. Shall we go keep into going the deeper. basement? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And maybe that's where they start to uncover like, you know, more mysteries, more secrets. They've conquered their who's, fears. Who's behind this? What's yeah. what's causing this? And then yeah. there could be like an even deeper sort of thing there. I like that idea. I like, I don't know. I um, I was discussing with um, my partner about writing horror D&D &D and how like, just like, yeah, I'm so fascinated with 
exploring how to create suspense, how to do a proper jump scare at a table, how to kind of creep people out and make them kind of go like, ew, or like, ah, or like, I don't like this, but to the, like, you know, within feeling safe still, how do I push those buttons? How do we push a little bit further? How do we explore things that, you know, you know, you can sit and read creepy pasta on the net and actually feel kind of like creeped out. And how do we do that in a game space at a table and kind of build a story that is around exploring something psychological or scary or a thriller? And I like the way someone once said to me, like, terror is the jump scare, but horror is the feeling of dread down the hallway that you know you have to walk down. It's that's, that's what made PT so scary uh, when, when, when that demo came out was you had to keep walking down this hallway and you didn't know it was around the corner and you could hear the sounds. There's two games I think of that do horror and they do them differently. There's one is the Alien RPG from Free League and one, and I mean that's more action horror as well because you're dealing with the xenomorphs and all that. Um, but they deal in the form of the stress die so whenever you roll the die, you're rolling dice pools in this game, you can always opt to re-roll the die. And whenever you re-roll your pool of die, you get a stress die, an added D6 added to your pool permanently that you get to roll, which increases your odds of success. Great. That's awesome. Stress is good in a situation. It helps you stay focused. However, should you roll a one on the stress die that you've added to your pool, you then have to consult a panic chart and you roll only your stress die that you've been collecting onto the panic chart. You add those together. And if the number, ever, so the, it, nothing happens underneath 11. So the first two D6s, you're very unlikely going to roll higher than 11. So your panics, you're not going to panic. It's two stress, you can handle two stress. Three stress, if you roll really badly, you might not handle your stress well and you might get those early moments in, on, the, on, the, on the panic table but those early ones on the panic table early on are just your hand shakes a little bit or you stutter or you forget what you're looking for or you, you leave an item in the room or something like it's it's a little more role play the 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 dangerous ones further down the list don't really happen until you have like six seven eight stress die as you're accumulating you realize eventually you're gonna start just screaming and when you <laughs> do that everyone else at the table now has to roll on the panic table with their and, and the stress and the panic can spread through the table and uh, or or one is like uh, you just you, you if you if you have a a, a weapon uh, a gun you have to just unload the clip right now on your next turn at something that's what that's what that's what it's prompting you on on your panic so it, it thinks then it gets really tense and that tense gets everyone like feeling really like I think replicating those scenes in Alien where you're like game over we can't survive this this is getting bad and now we can't even handle it and we become our own worst enemies and the other horror game as I already mentioned was Bluebeard's Bride uh, has one because it's a Powered by Apocalypse game but because you're playing one character as aspects of this one character you don't have 100% control 100% of the time. So you're constantly having to sit and watch another player do things. You're like, no, don't don't go, don't do that, don't touch that thing. Ah, but you're not the one wearing the ring. They're the one wearing the ring, so they get to tell the bride what to do right now. And even the bride as a character gets to sometimes act independently from the other players at the table. Like she's her own person and you're just you're just 
aspects in her mind. And so the, uh, you're, 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 you're sort of strapped to this comet and you're, you're on for a ride and you can't get off this ride without losing your mind. I think that's but, the other thing is that suspension of control that mm-hmm. can cause without it removing agency either sad. right like only you're all in the car but only one person can be on the driver's side of the car at any time someone is always on the driver's seat and that role will move around the table everyone else has to be passengers and once you're a passenger that's when the horror really starts to kick in because then you're just watching and you're going oh this is a bad idea yeah. um, but there's a move in that game called shiver with fear though that i really like we were talking about meta talking where whenever a player um reacts to a description that the gm has presented the player not the character the player tells the GM what they're afraid of and the GM will tell them why that's true and why it's worse than they thought. And what that does is it, it's a sneaky safety mechanic that they've built into the game because the player is volunteering a scary detail that they would like to see in this game. It's not a it's not an admission of defeat. It's an invitation to be scared. And then the GM can up the ante a little bit. And then the player has the choice to keep the ring, keep the driver's seat, or to pass the driver's seat to someone else and deal with the consequences of their fear. And uh and so it becomes this very consensual conversation of what are you afraid of, my player? And the player will tell them what they're afraid of. And then you'll tell them, oh, it's so much worse than that. Let me tell you how bad it is. And, and, they, and they just yes and that fear into the scene. And so as a GM, I don't have to um, guess what my players are afraid of. Because the rules tell me they are supposed to tell me what they're afraid of. It's I love not that. that's that the guessing part isn't part of the game. That part is you you offer it up, and then I will scare you with. That. Oh, you're 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 afraid like of, volunteering to get. You're afraid spooked. of closed spaces. You're afraid of being. Uh, uh, we had uh, the loss of family, or you're afraid of bugs or rats. Okay, great. Uh, it's not just. You know, it's not just rats that's coming out of the ground. It's you know, it's not, it's not just the loss of family. It's also um, their family's not just dead. Their legacy is being removed, and they're being erased from history. Or you know, you can just you can you can uh, accelerate that. And uh, I just really I really like both of those are very different ways of handling horror in a game, and different from also how you handled horror in a game. And I don't know if anyone has really like. I don't know they, they ever will because there's so many different ways to do and, it. And everyone gets scared of different things in different ways. Yeah. And some people like being scared in different ways. Some people don't want to be scared in certain ways. <laughs> Horror uh, RPGs have always been my Achilles heel. Like I like playing in them. I don't do great running them. I'd much rather let someone else run the scary game why is and I'll, that? I, I don't for me it becomes i get too stuck in my own head and i'm not like as you were talking listening to my players or um horror settings i feel become much more of an empathy engine like you really need to be present with your players to be there where once you start getting nervous 
am I doing the imposter syndrome kicks in? Am I being scary enough? What am I doing? Because I don't even watch horror movies. So I don't have all those tropes and touchstones to lean in on like I do in uh, in fantasy or science fiction. And, and right, that, that totally so, makes sense. Because basically what I did is I just like grab bagged different themes from all the different horror things that I've consumed from like SCP to creepypasta to like, I don't know, Silent Hill, like video games. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. if you don't have that lexicon in your head of like, here's all the different things people find creepy. And I, I just, I mostly pick things that I found creepy. And I really took the time to modulate my voice, speak slower, describe the room. Mm-hmm. And under that, you have current. to breathe. You have to remember to breathe when you're running a horror game. I've run two games of Bluebeard's Bride. I ran a game of Cult Divinity Lost. And all three times, players had a great time. Game was fine. But I walked away feeling so drained because I spent the entire time thinking I'm not, this isn't, this isn't working. This isn't scary enough. Isn't. And part of it is being the GM. I know. So it's hard to be the magician and knowing all the tricks and know, is this landing with the audience? <laughs> like I can see where I'm doing all of my sleights of hand. Uh, can they see that? And, um, and I, the best response. Part of it is a practice, but yeah. it, the other part is I just I, I want to just be a player and to witness and it being done. I think it also depends from. a lot on your player group. If your player group's willing to buy in, if your player group is willing to sort of play the game with you and understand they're going into that setting. And yeah, you and have to suspend your belief. It's like if you're in a movie theater watching a horror film and one person just keeps laughing at everything on the screen. It does break your immersion. Even like, I know it's silly. I know it's camp, but I also like ghost stories and I want to be scared, even if it's silly. Yeah. Maybe, maybe don't come and go Rocky Horror Picture Show on this film I'm here to watch. Yeah. And, and then like the other thing is like when you do hit it right and you have someone respond like, oh, fuck no. And then they're like, I'm moving out of this room. And that reaction, and it's just, you're at a table, you're playing a game, your character isn't real. They're even, like, sometimes they're not even, like, a physical piece on a board in certain, like, games. But when they have that reaction, it's so satisfying. You're like, I wrote that right. I timed it right. Like, the reveal happened. I don't know. Something, I don't know. I had one thing where I, like, it was really quiet. Mm -hmm. And then I, like, just, like, knocked on the table or something. And it's just, like, sorry, my cat's yelling at me. It's fine. Um, so this is the joys of recording from home. I, um, I'll have to censor all of this out, but I want to tell you, but I can't tell our listeners because it spoils our Symbroom campaign that we're currently releasing. But uh, there's two characters that they've already met and unbeknownst to the players. And everyone at the table was like, oh, no. no. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, roll for initiative. And they're like, no, no thanks. <laughs> we? like, we're, 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 they were in the middle of a fight. I guess we've got to fight the big monster that just showed up in the middle. I and, love and, that and, moment. And the whole table turned. And uh, I, uh, all the pl all the listeners heard is just beep, 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 beep over everything, so not to spoil anything that happens. But it was it was a it was a very satisfying moment. And it was one of those moments. Like, oh, I got a horror. I got I got a I got a tick on the horror sheet there, um, even though the game itself isn't. And now you got to. You got to think like, what did I do right there? <laughs> so, Kim, I want to thank you for coming with me behind the screens and sharing me your story of of 
remixing something, a, a gift for your players. When a GM goes that extra mile and says, like, you know what, today we're going to have an actual meal around a table. We're going to role play around that or play on this board game, or I've made letters for each of your characters, or I've, or, uh, you know, I, I, it's always, always kind of fun. And it's, and uh, even though it's, it's unfortunate that your group didn't reconvene after that, it does sound like it ended on like a nice note where you got to check off something that you, uh, you had been noodling in your head for a while. Yeah, it was honestly so worth it to kind of go that extra mile and customize these challenges and get into their heads and um, just how they reacted. And then the feedback I got back after was definitely like, it's like, I, oh, I want to do a game like this again, or what did I do right that I can apply to like other campaigns for sure. What would your takeaway be for a GM listening in onto our conversation who are thinking of mixing up their game like that? maybe worried that their players wouldn't like them to like some this is sacred we don't do that or or like what would what's the takeaway for that if someone is is thinking of trying something out for their players i think that dnd like you said is a game it's a sandbox have fun like if you have an idea and you have a prop in mind like people love to interact with things, do something novel, especially people who've been playing D&D for a long time. Um, at least the people I play with enjoyed it. Go for it. Make a mess. Deconstruct. Maybe you just want to use one piece or a specific dice or Monopoly money in your game. Like, do it. Why not? There's no rules. Just, like, make a mess. Do something weird. Try it. And if, like, worst case scenario, it fails, whatever. Just do another campaign. <laughs> Keep on rolling. <laughs> Kimberly, where can we follow up with you if we have liked listening to you tell our stories and we'd like to spend more time with you? Yeah, um, you can catch me on Twitch uh, Tuesday nights and Thursday nights at 8 p.m. EST, twitch.tv slash switchcat with two T's. Yeah, come tune in, come hang out. If you have a tale of tabletop triumph, we want to hear from you. Either send us a DM on Twitter to Dice Warriors or email us at feedback at terriblewarriors.com. Share us your story. We might have you on the next episode of Behind the Screen. The Terrible Warriors will return on Tuesday with our next story episode as we continue through our play run of Simbaroon. Someone in their camp has a secret a secret so dark, it will threaten the lives of every other soul in the caravan. Part 3, Shadow in the Mountain, is coming out next week. And if you don't want to wait that long, you can listen to it right now at patreon.com slash terriblewarriors. We're releasing our story episodes, the ones that come out on Tuesday, one week in advance for anyone at the $5 or higher level as a thank you for helping to make this show possible and keep it running into its ninth season. That's incredible for everyone who is supporting this podcast, either through Patreon or by leaving comments or subscribing on our YouTube channel or retweeting my tweets or leaving a review and subscribing on every platform they can think of and telling your friends. That's the most important thing is sharing podcasts. It's so difficult to share podcasts. And so when you do that, you are making a huge difference in helping to make a rinky-dink little independent podcast like this 
really punch higher than its weight class. So for all of that support, thank you. Thank you so much. We'll return on Tuesday with the next episode of Simbarum. And until that time, enjoy your weekend. And I hope you get a chance to play around that table again and roll dice again and welcome your friends again into stories of your own creation. I hope very soon you get to be a terrible warrior. Be good to each other. <laughs>